The views, opinions, and content of the show hosts and their guests appearing on America's Web Radio are their own and do not necessarily reflect those of the station. You're listening to America's Web Radio. It's time now for the Doctor's Lounge Show with Dr. Hal Schurz. Welcome back into the Doctor's Lounge. I'm your host, Dr. Hal Schurz, and each week I or my co-host, Dr. Scott Barber, bring you the information that you need to know about in healthcare so that you can advocate for yourself and for your family and understand what's going on in healthcare. Um, the show is brought to you by the Docs for Patient Care Foundation, which is the only physician led healthcare think tank in the country. Our, um, our uh, foundation is founded on the principles of the doctor-patient relationship and healthcare freedom, which is very much at risk. And uh, we need your support, your help. Our website is wwwd 4 that's the number four, pcfoundation.org. That's d4pcfoundation.org. And we uh, really need you to uh, step up and just help us out so that we can continue to bring you this show and do all the work that we do um, all the time on a regular basis, fighting for health care freedom for Americans in, 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 uh, in the U.S. And, and so I have had the challenge out there that uh, I would love for you to, while you're on your computer and your devices to just go to our website and contribute one dollar. We have fifty over fifty thousand downloads a month, and if everybody just gave one dollar, that would help out enormously. So please um, uh, take our um, giving challenge seriously. We're going to make May the month of really um, stepping it up and getting you to bring in one listener so that we can double our exposure in the month of May. Um, today's show, which I wanted to uh, um, introduce, is a subject that I have really given a lot of thought to, and it's complex. It's mul- There are multiple factors that, uh, that contribute to this, but it's about the kind of care that people are getting in the United States and um, and it's about hospitals the the way that our system is set up right now the power has been concentrated in the hands of the hospitals in the United States much to the detriment of the American public, to patients, to physicians, and to people who work in healthcare. And the hospital is not your friend. Quite the contrary. You want to stay out of hospitals. When we were in practice as as um, interns and residents, and um, and then as attendings, um, the the it, the truism is that you don't want to be in the hospital. You want to get people out of the hospital as quick as possible because you get sick in the hospital, and that's true. But more than just your physical um, health, hospitals are killing our healthcare system. And I'm going to try to unpack 
in this show what I mean by that. And um, it is uh, very complicated. And I want to uh, start out by um, trying to explain to you um, what is happening in healthcare. In 2019, 62% of physicians were employed by hospitals or corporate entities. And for the purpose of just getting into this, I'm going to include corporate entities, which by that I mean private equity groups. And and there's a, um, a very robust um, uh Attempt to to roll up that means consolidate medical practices and and put them into portfolios by private equity groups. But I'm going to get into that in just a minute. In a minute. So in 2019, 62 percent of physicians were employed, which is really not great to begin with, and and that too I'll explain. One year later, 2020. That number went up to 64.5%. After the pandemic began, by January 2021, 69% of physicians were employed. And this is according to VMG Health, which reports on these kinds of things. Now, at the beginning of 2022, 74% of doctors are employed by hospitals or or corporate entities. 26% of doctors are in private practice. So, there are now 135,000 hospital or corporate-owned physician practices in the United States. In the last two years, that has exploded, and 36,000 practices were acquired during those two years. And that dwarfs what happened in the 10 years prior to that when just 4,800 practices were acquired. So this has really gotten out of control, and you've got to ask yourself why. The why is the important thing here. So physicians now own slightly less than all medical practices in the country, 46%. Hospitals own 27% of medical practices. Corporate entities own 27% of medical practices. So why is this bad? What, what are you, you know, what's the big deal you might be thinking? Well, it's bad because when doctors have a corporate entity that they have to answer to, that is their boss. They have to, they have to be accountable to a, a shareholder or they have to be accountable to management teams and and that means that they put those interests ahead of the interests of patients. Now you might say, okay, couldn't that happen with physicians who own their own practices? And of course that can happen, but that is really the exception and not the rule. When doctors 
go into practice for themselves, they they are doing it because they want to be able to make decisions for their patients. They want to be able to make the best decisions about how to take care of patients. They don't want an administrator telling them what kind of gauze pads they need to buy, what kind of of catheters they need to use, or suture material that they need to use, or medications that they need to prescribe. They don't want any of that interference in how they interact with their patients, but that's what they get when they are answerable to these other entities other than themselves. They do not take into account your needs as a patient. They are, that's that's part of the equation, of course, but in the back of their minds, they're worried about whether or not they're going to meet their quotas, see enough patients, um, they are going to have access to the things that they need access to to take care of patients. You know, if if you are a physician and you're getting a salary from the hospital and they're looking at your revenue generation and you have a contract and you are not performing up to what the administrator thinks you're performing at, then they will come back to you the next time a contract is on the table and they'll say, Dr. X, you um, really didn't meet the numbers that we expected you to meet. So we have two choices. You can either take a salary reduction or you can see five more patients a day or 10 more patients a day and generate more revenue and that will get you to where we expect you to be. Now, they may be already be overstretched and seeing 40, 50 patients a day, giving a patient no more than 7 to 10 minutes per visit. And for some patients, that's all you need. I have to say that there are many patients that I take care of that I don't need more time than that. When I'm rechecking them for uh, after surgery, if I'm looking at something, an annual visit and just checking something, I'm a specialty doctor, so it's easy for me to focus on one area, look at it, and get them out. But if there's a complex problem, seven-minute visits just don't work. And if you're under the gun and you can't spend 30 minutes with them, they're not going to get the attention that they need, that you need to give them. I manage a large practice in the Southeast, and um, and part of our um, ability to stay current with doctors who are retiring and to grow our practice, it means recruiting doctors. And we've recruited... Um, in the last three years, 15 doctors, which is quite quite incredible for a private practice group to be doing. And when we interview these young doctors, we explain to them that they've got a choice where they can work. They can work for 
a hospital or a university. They can work for a medical group that has sold their their practice to a private equity group, and I'll explain that in a moment. Or they can work for an insurance company, some other entity other than what we offer, which is private practice. And the the um, attraction of private practice is that we are saying to these young doctors that we are offering them an opportunity to bank on themselves, to have a career that they control, not somebody else. And if they have confidence in themselves, if they believe that they can grow their practice and be successful and and bank on their own ability and not want to just come to work and have a job and then go home at the end of the day and not worry about things, then we are the place that they should be. And that's true of private practice in general. It is entrepreneurism at its most fundamental basis. Hospital employment is something that that is completely the opposite because the patients are not yours. They are the hospital's patients. You may have the ability to take care of those patients. You may think that they're your patients. The patients may think that they're your patients, but ultimately they belong to the hospital. They're the hospital's patients. When you leave, if you were to leave the hospital, you can't take those patients with you. You sign agreements that restrict your ability to take a patient with you, even to work in that area. They're restrictive covenants. That's what they're called. And if you go to work for a hospital and you see that this is just not working out because they're telling me that I can't I can't take care of the patients the way that I wish I could, then you've got to leave that that hospital and leave that area in many cases for variable distances. In some cases, you have to leave town completely. That's how restrictive some of these covenants are. I said I would mention about private equity. Private equity are groups of investors. It's it, They're companies that look to buy businesses, turn them around, or or scale them, which means to make them grow, and build them up for the purpose of increasing their value so that they can resell them to another private equity group. Now, this is a, in some ways a like a Ponzi scheme, but it's really not. But but it is it is um, a model where a, a business that is um, unable to raise capital, that is unable to uh, grow, can go to an outside funding source, a, a private equity group, get the funding that they need, get a partner, a financial partner, so that they can make their business um, bigger and and better. And in some private equity groups, they sell the business back 
to the original owners once it's been um, the the value has has increased. In other cases, the private equity groups will turn that over and get a new buyer, another private equity group. Um, about thirty years ago, there were corporate. Um, uh, there, were, there were there were publicly traded companies that tried to get into the healthcare business, and my practice was one of those practices that um, that did that because the senior partners in my group at the time um, were going to profit disproportionately from selling the practice and uh, led us down the uh, primrose path to sell our practice. And, um, and we very quickly realized what a gigantic mistake that was. And it took us five years to buy our practice back from the, this, enti- this particular um, publicly traded company. And subsequently, all this, these publicly traded companies that tried to buy up medical practices and roll them together um, realized how um, bad of a business model that was because it's very, very hard to find margin and, and suck profits out of health care. So they gave it up. And that did not exist until the last... 10 years when companies, private equity groups, um, once again saw healthcare as a possible means to enhance their portfolios and, uh, and make, make a profit. And they looked initially at the big um, ticket medical practices that generated lots of revenue, talking about plastic surgery, we're talking about dermatology, we're talking about um, some specialties where the cash register is constantly cha-chinging, like critical care or neonatal care. Private equity groups came to these, these practices and rolled them together, put them together, and, um, and increased their value. I'm going to digress, and I'm going to try to explain why this is such a bad model. Um, If you look at the housing market right now, I don't think that there are very many people who are listening who would not agree that the the housing market is out of control. Well, the... um, Part of the reason for that is private equity. Private equity groups have gotten together and they've bought single family homes, they've bought apartment buildings, they've put to, they've they've basically um, rolled up real estate and they are paying premiums. I have a friend who just tried to buy a house and um, they the the starting bid was outrageously high and that was just a starting bid they didn't even talk to the um to the potential buyers they took closed bids and the um there was so much competition for the house that there were no contingencies that means that that if the buyer wanted an inspection they were they were disqualified there were no contingencies people were paying mil- a couple of million dollars for a house 
without even the ability to have it inspected. And there were other contingencies as well, which were outrageous. But my point is that private equity groups have um, have poisoned the housing market by driving the price of a house through the roof. They're doing the same thing in healthcare. So the private equity groups are buying up health uh, medical practices. Who benefits from that? Well, the senior people who founded the practice benefit the most because they're getting um, the largest stake in in the buyout from these private equity firms. Sometimes it's a it's a egalitarian group, and all the partners um, profit equally. But the new doctors who are coming in don't see any of that money coming from the private equity groups. And once that practice sells and is owned by the private equity group, then the younger doctors are employees. They have no ability to get ownership. They are um, really out of out of uh, control of their future. Plus, they have a board that they're answerable to. Now, I know people in private equity, and they now realize that despite the fact that this is an increasing model, this may actually be a flawed model that won't be sustainable. And they are not... Um, they're concerned whether or not they should be continuing to uh, uh, roll up medical practices because it's just not a winning situation for them in the long run. Back to hospitals, though. Hospitals, there was a time where hospitals could not employ doctors. And there's a, a law that is mostly a state law, and it's called the Corporate Practice of Medicine Law. And if you go onto the AMA website and you look at the Advocacy Resource Center, there's a brief in there about the Corporate Practice of Medicine. And there was a time where no hospital could employ doctors. This is why Kaiser Permanente exists. Kaiser is a medical, uh, a for-profit medical um, uh, corporation, and they run hospitals. And because California had the California um, law, corporate practice of medicine prohibition, Kaiser could not employ doctors, and they needed doctors in their closed medical system. So what did they do? Well, they created the Permanente Group. The Permanente Group was a um, it was a medical group. It was a uh, multi-specialty medical group that um, brought doctors together, and they only have one um, uh, contract. They they work with only one hospital, and that's the Kaiser system, and that's how they became Kaiser Permanente. And that has worked for them very well, and that's that's how they were able to to skirt the issue about the corporate practice of medicine. 
But unfortunately, every state has their own corporate practice of medicine regulations. And in many states, they've ignored the the separation between corporations and and uh, and physicians because the um, their their um, mandate is that hospitals, if they were arm's length from doctors and didn't interfere with the how doctors practice medicine, it would be okay. Or they made exceptions for um, hospitals to be able to employ doctors. Um, in some states, the um, the shareholders of the corporation had to be licensed physicians in that state. That's how a group like mine can be a corporation and still um, have have uh, doctors working for it because Georgia is a corporate practice of medicine state. But hospitals now have gotten around this to the point where this law, this this statute, has all but been ignored, and now hospitals are just on a shopping spree, buying up physician practices um, um, like they were going out of style. Um, you know, most hospitals are for-profit. Um, I'm sorry, are non-for-profit. I have misstated that. Fifty-eight percent of hospitals in this country are non-for-profit. So what does non-for-profit actually mean? Well, it means that they don't pay taxes because they are non-profit entities, so they pay no federal, state, or property taxes. Um, but they can buy real estate um, at without having to worry about the tax situation at and they often get incredible incredible deals because of who they are and what they represent in different communities and they can pay they don't pay shareholders because they're non-profit entities but they make obscene amounts of money and they can pay their management team obscene amounts of money um uh, for um, which would which is is instead of putting that money into health care and into the the um, care of patients in the community, which is the mandate that they are responsible for doing for the ability to be a a um, a nonprofit, they are they are. Um, giving a percentage, a very, very small part of that to charity or to um, community resources and instead building up their war chests and paying themselves handsomely. They are basically wolves in sheep's clothing. And um, depending on the hospital, some do a better job than others. What they are great at doing, though, is building up their bank accounts and their holdings, and they get fatter and fatter and fatter. And as they do this, they lose sight of their real purpose, which is to deliver the best health care, and instead they concentrate on just getting bigger. Um, the American Institute of uh, Architects reported that 40% of new retail real estate transactions are for medical activities. Just just 
digest that for a second. 40% of new retail real estate transactions are for medical activities. 10 years ago, it was just 2%. If you look at at this, it is emblematic of of what the problem is with healthcare with hospitals and why hospitals are actually killing our healthcare system and ultimately killing you. So let me let me um, break right now, and when we get back, we'll we'll look a little bit more in depth about how um, this is happening on other levels. Stay with us. The Docs for Patient Care Foundation is your way to join the fight and become a member of an organization created by doctors for patients dedicated to fighting for your health care freedom and preserving the doctor-patient relationship. Get a pen and paper. Write down docsforpatientcarefoundation.org. That's D-O-C-S, the number four, patientcarefoundation.org. Go to our site and please make a generous tax-deductible donation and join the fight today. Thank you. Hello, I'm Dr. Mike Karuchak. Have you ever wondered what doctors talk about amongst themselves? If you do, join us on the Doctor's Lounge and hear the doctors' conversations amongst themselves. Join me and my co-host, Dr. Hal Schertz, every Thursday morning, 8 to 9 a.m. The Docs for Patient Care Foundation is your way to join the fight and become a member of an organization created by doctors for patients dedicated to fighting for your health care freedom and preserving the doctor-patient relationship. Get a pen and paper. Write down www.docsforpatientcarefoundation.org. That's www.docsforpatientcarefoundation.org. Go to our site and please make a generous tax-deductible donation and join the fight today. Thank you. You're listening to America's Web Radio on the AmericasBroadcastNetwork.com. Thank you for listening. We are back in the doctor's lounge, and we are exploring today how hospitals are actually destroying our healthcare system. And credit all the entities that have put the power into the hands of the hospital systems around the country. They've concentrated all the power in the hospitals and taken them away from the people who are taking care of you, the doctors. And that's that's what the take-home message for this um, show is today. Um, so let me let me um, uh, go back to real estate. If you look at the fifty largest cities in the U.S., there isn't a single city that has not exploded with new medical buildings and hospitals. And you, you just have to look at your city, and you can you can. Um, uh, validate what I'm saying. In Dallas, for example, Baylor Medical Center is a great example of what I've just said. And the hospital there generates more cash from being a real estate company than they do from being a healthcare organization and delivering healthcare. And hospitals now have become businesses that are real estate companies and they dabble in healthcare. Um, and they need to, um, they, they generate so much money that they've got to put it 
into other entities that are going to allow them to grow and get bigger. So they diversify. They're even investing their money in housing units and in real estate um, near the um, hospital, the main hospitals that they are um, th- that that they're housed on. So, how do hospitals generate their money? Well, by upcharging for everything: aspirin, wound care supplies, operating room time, radiology procedures, surgeries. If you've ever looked at the explanation of benefits bill for anybody who's gone to a hospital. It would it, it should sicken you when you look at how much money they are charging for things. Five dollar aspirins, um, you know, t- uh, twenty five hundred dollars for fifteen minutes of operating room time. You know, this is it's just totally outrageous. Um, no matter what you do, no matter what you look at. It's more expensive in the hospital. This has been shown by people who've been on this show numerous times, by Keith Smith, who um, started and runs the Surgery Center of Oklahoma and has posted the costs for procedures on his website, and he and he is 90% cheaper than hospital care for the exact same procedure um, that they're doing down the street at the at the big um, you know gigantic hospitals in Oklahoma City. Marty McCary has discussed this and outlined this in his book The Price We Pay, which I highly recommend to anybody who has not read it. He explains how hospitals go after people who can least afford to pay these hospital bills and throw them into bankruptcy because they've upcharged and overcharged them for procedures which they can't possibly pay for, which they shouldn't have to pay those prices for, and then come after them and put liens on their house or liens on their wages, garnish their wages. And this is this is what the hospitals are doing, and he's exposed in so many communities. Lee Gross, who is the president of the Docs for Patient Care Foundation, who's been a guest on the show multiple times, who's one of the founders of the direct primary care movement, has shown how much better and how much more affordable care can be in a small setting in a doctor-owned practice where they are um, taking great care of you and not charging for every single thing that they do, not nickel and diming you for everything. Why do you think hospitals are buying up primary care practices? Because they can nickel and dime you to death and charge you for everything that's done by them and divert you into the hospital to get this done, which is the most expensive place to get your lab work done or your x-ray tests done. But the bloom is coming off the rose. Instead of having personnel to staff these facilities, hospitals are scrambling to get enough help. And this is inside baseball stuff that you're going to hear nowhere else. So pay attention to this. 
one hospital here in Atlanta, as an example, was so short-staffed several months ago when my friend's mother was admitted that there was one nurse, one nurse for an entire medical surgical floor, one nurse. She had to be in the hospital with her mother just to make sure that she was taken care of. She was essentially the nurse for this patient in the hospital. This problem is a profound problem that is happening in every hospital. I mean every hospital all across the country. And what's happening is there's a critical nursing shortage and they are now hospitals are now acting out of desperation to get enough people to work in the hospitals that they're offering obscene signing bonuses and salaries to nurses and I'm not saying that nurses don't deserve more money not for a second am I saying that but they are the hospitals are scrambling and they can't get enough people to staff their their um, patient floors or their operating rooms. Operating rooms are closing in some facilities because they don't have enough skilled nurses or scrub techs to be able to to run a full um, uh, core a uh, full uh, cadre of rooms. Now the pandemic has definitely contributed to this because people got um, they, they, they re-examined their lives and they felt that it really wasn't worth putting themselves at risk or they felt underappreciated or they um, got money to stay home it, it, there's a number of reasons why, why people may have left medical care or the medical industry but suffice it to say that there's a shortage and and so when when these hospitals are paying incredible amounts of money the hospitals that can most afford it are sucking it up and paying and they are drawing nurses away from other hospitals um, where they may have worked for years and been happy but with five dollar a gallon gas why would somebody drive an hour to go to a hospital when they could make a 50 to 100% more at a local community hospital five minutes from where their house is? And by the way, in most cities, most urban or, or, or just suburban areas, Many of the people who staff those hospitals, work those hospitals, can't live around the hospitals because the houses in those areas are so expensive. And so they have to live further out and commute. And why would they now with the, their ability to make more money closer to home and not have to spend so much money on gas? It, it just it makes no sense. And so when the hospitals are rewarding one group of professionals like nurses because they are up against a rock and a hard place, others take notice. The OR techs, the pharmacy techs, the radiology techs, the respiratory therapists, etc. 
they get pissed off because they feel underappreciated. And why should one group of professionals at the hospital profit and not everybody? And so they quit, and that creates even further shortages. So the hospitals can't fill these slots fast enough. So they have to resort to using agencies. And we call them in in healthcare, quote, travelers, end quote. So these are nurses who work on 13-week contracts often, and they can even remain in the same city, but they work for an agency. And it can sometimes even mean that these travelers get placed in their same hospital or in a hospital across the street from where they always worked. But because they're working through agencies, these individuals um, can make in one week what took them three weeks to make when they worked just for the hospital. So why wouldn't they work for an agency? Why would people choose to stay at the hospital? Well, for, for some, it's comfort, staying where they've always worked and, and around people they know and people they like to take care of. They love the patients in the hospitals that they take care of. You know, people in healthcare do this because it's a labor of love. It's not because they become gazillionaires doing this. They do it because it's something that they love to do. Others stay at hospitals um, despite these enticements um, because of inertia. They just don't want to leave. But hospitals did not treat nurses particularly well during the pandemic. Many let them go. They did not, when their businesses dried up, they said, oh, gosh, we can't afford to keep our our nurses on and pay them and pay their benefits. So they let them go, thinking that they would come back when the pandemic was over. And in many cases, that did not happen. And then when the mandates came, these, quote, heroes of COVID became public enemies if they chose not to get vaccinated, even if they could prove natural immunity. So this is not how you build loyalty. And it's not surprising to see that now hospitals are scrambling to get these nurses back who they previously have thrown under the bus um, uh, during the pandemic. But the worst example of throwing people under the bus comes when the hospital will not stand behind those who do the work and who make mistakes. Now, I, um, I'm using that to tell, to explain to people about an issue that recently came up um, and it happened at Vanderbilt University where a, uh, a, a nurse that was uh, in the ICU um, has uh, been convicted of manslaughter for a medical error. Um, in 2017, Redonda Vaught, who is a nurse, administered a paralyzing medication to a patient before an x-ray scan instead of a sedative. And so this was a medical error, and the patient ultimately died. And, um, and instead of treating this as a medical error, 
and there were reasons why this may have occurred, she was convicted of manslaughter and uh, is now um, uh, facing a prison term. And this is a, a, a grave, grave concern to anybody who works in a hospital because it is opening up Pandora's box to the potential for criminal prosecution for a medical error. Mistakes are made. You know, if you make a mistake with, you know, putting up a building, um, you know, that's that's an error, you know, an error in your profession. If you make a mistake in law, that can be malpractice and it's an error in your profession. If you make a mistake in health care, that is a medical error and it is is a fine line between what constitutes um, malpractice or malfeasance and what constitutes criminal negligence. And, and that is where the problem is, because this precedent now sends chills up the spines of everyone working in health care, discouraging health care workers from wanting to work in hospitals or even worse, failing, uh, discouraging them from reporting a medical error or a close call in a system where you want to get better and prevent those kinds of mistakes. If you know that criminal prosecution and prison time may arise if you come forward to, to, um, to actually expose an error that was made, that's that's not going to happen if you um, are going to um, be be prosecuted for it instead of using it as a learning experience, as an experience of getting better. And this is something where where does malpractice end and criminal liability begin? And that is a a, a gigantic problem. And the hospitals, instead of standing behind a person like Redonda Vaught, is throwing her under the bus and not standing behind. Because of these shortages in nurses, because of these shortages in, in the hospitals after the pandemic, because of all of the the difficulties in working with um, with giant systems that have been put in place where there's no continuity of care, where a patient gets handed off from one doctor to the next in hospital care, hospitalists, where there's no continuity, things can fall through the cracks quite easily. And when that happens, that mistakes are made, and they try to put systems in place to prevent that, but nonetheless, there's human um, judgments, human interaction, human error that's involved, and if the hospitals will not stand behind these individuals, then why would anybody trust 
the hospital? Why would you want to work in a place like that? I will tell you that in my at my experience, I have seen hospitals settle lawsuits unbeknownst to doctors when doctors were doing the right thing. They were coming in to help take care of a patient, and an error was made inadvertently um, that needed to be corrected during an operation by another surgeon, uh, somebody with more expertise in another field. And because of our our climate right now, our litigious climate, the, the there's always a, a lawyer who will um, encourage a patient to sue. And instead of standing behind these doctors who come in as white knights to help fix a problem, these doctors are being thrown under the bus by the hospitals because the hospitals are looking at this as a business decision and they're settling these cases and throwing the doctors who are helping under the bus and making them fend for themselves. So again, why would anybody trust the doctors? Why would they want to work for these hospitals? Um, Recently, I've been asked to participate in a survey about hospitals, and there was a disproportionate number of questions that centered on what kind of hospital would I send my patients to. Would it be one where doctors had autonomy and more control, or where things were handled by the administration? These questions, to me, were very interesting, because what they were asking me to assess was about um, whether or not I thought it was more important for a hospital to be run by doctors that um, that were making the medical decisions, or was it more important to be at a hospital that had a good reputation because of the conferences that they put on, or the research grants that they got, or the publications that they put out. And and so I, I thought that this was very interesting because why are companies now being asked to survey doctors to determine this question? Why would it be important to know what was more important to doctors? And the conclusion that I reached is that there is a chink in the armor that maybe maybe the tide is turning and it's not so important to have hospitals that are publishing or have big research grants or have lots of real estate in different parts of the city maybe it's more important to have a hospital that is run by doctors that has the people who are making the decisions about what kind of care is given at that hospital made by people who are actually giving the care. One of the big surveys, one of the big, um, I guess, uh, I, I, lack for, of a better word, I guess, I guess um, um, survey is, is the best word, of, of what... Um, constitutes the best places, the best hospitals, the best 
programs in different specialties is the U.S. News and World Reports. It comes out every year, and people buy it so that they can look and see where the best hospitals are or what the best program is for transplantation or heart surgery or cancer care. And I think, and I'm not alone, that the U.S. News and World Report's survey or, or evaluation is basically one gigantic crock. It is, a, it is so bogus. It is a, a beauty contest. And it is not, um, it's not real. It is, does not reflect what the best places are. It is solely for the purposes of marketing themselves as a recognized U.S. News and World Report Center. And so hospitals actually invest money to game the system, to game the evaluation. Many programs lie, and they, they don't give accurate information because this is unaudited. It is, it is information that is self-reported by these hospitals and these programs. I'll give you an example. In pediatric urology, my specialty, there is, there, they rate the, urolo- the pediatric urology programs. There's one program that ranks as the number one program perennially, year after year after year. And they report on the number of certain index cases that they do. And that's how they get these high ratings, because if they do a lot of complicated cases, that is that counts as points toward their score. Well, now, today, um, there are databases that exist that you can look and see the number of cases that are being done in different hospitals because this is information that is reported on a national database. And if you look at that database and look at the number of cases that this particular institution reported on and compare it to the number of cases that they self-reported in the U.S. News & World Report, Survey, the numbers don't match. They report far more cases being done on the U.S. News and World Report survey that they submit than they are actually doing in the national database that is reported by the actual cases that they do. So this is this is just like one data point, one dot to demonstrate how untrustworthy these hospitals and these programs are when they are ranking themselves for the purpose of U.S. News and World Reports because they want to be the higher-ranked programs because it brings them increased revenue, increased prestige when people seek them out. So we're coming to a conclusion to this show about how we how the hospitals are killing our healthcare system because the power has been invested into the hospital systems. How do we get out of this? How do we fix this? Well, one of my um, gurus that I look at, Dennis Prager, 
always says that the bigger the government, the smaller the individual. And the same can be said for health care. The bigger the institution, the smaller the patient. We get smaller by getting away from the hospitals. The power needs to be divested away from the hospitals and reinvested in doctors. We need to get back to connecting doctors to patients like Lee Gross does with direct primary care. We need to get rid of the certificate of need laws, which allow hospitals hospitals to veto the construction of new entities. If I wanted to build a hospital with my partners, I can't do it because the hospitals in Atlanta will conspire to veto that and and prevent that from happening. These certificate of need laws need to come go away. It's happening. People recognize this. In Georgia this year, a bill made it through the house to repeal the entire certificate of need laws by 2025, but it got hung up in crossing over to the Senate, but it's going to come up in the next session and it's coming up in other states. Alabama, Alaska, Maine, Michigan, Montana, North and South Carolina. This is happening. And so we need to go ahead and we need to make sure that that the certificate of need laws um, go away because um, with, with those laws still in place, the hospitals retain their power. And, um, and, and we need to get um, away from some of these laws that prevent doctors from being able to, to work together because that's how we take care of patients better. Why should hospitals be allowed to buy ho- medical practices, but I can't get together with another couple of specialties and put together a surgery center in my state because of certificate of need laws? Power needs to be divested. The hospitals need to be divested of their power. It needs to be reinvested in physicians, and the physicians are the ones who are taking care of patients, and that's how healthcare becomes better in the United States for everyone. Thanks for being with us today. Come back next week to be with my co-host, Dr. Scott, and I'll be back with you in two weeks. Be well, and uh, we'll see you next time. The views, opinions, and content of the show hosts and their guests appearing on America's Web Radio are their own and do not necessarily reflect those of the station. You're listening to America's Web Radio on the AmericasBroadcastNetwork.com. Thank you for listening.